this is where the numbers do matter. I'm like, I want those 3 billion people who signed the petition. I want that to actually be real because there's children that I love in this world who rely on us succeeding at something. You know, when we were not trusting each other, it was nearly impossible to move anything. And then once we started to really do the work, drop in, build trust, have real conflict, move through it, um, know that there were lines we could hold and lines we could give and compromise on, then the work began to move very quickly. Citizen Podcast. My name is Carrie Kelly, and we are back with a new season of Citizen Podcast. Citizen is working at the intersection of well-being and justice. We're not afraid to ask hard questions and have radical conversations about politics and patriarchy, white supremacy and worthiness, and we're talking to some of the most badass and brilliant changemakers, like our guest today, the amazing Adrienne Marie Brown, feminist, community organizer, and pleasure activist. She's the author of the bestseller, Emergent Strategy, one of the most formative books in the progressive movement, and her latest book, Pleasure Activist, is sure to shake things up some more. As always, if you love this podcast, tell all of your friends. An engaged community of listeners keeps us honest, inspired, and sustained. Rate us on iTunes and check out our campaign at patreon.com slash citizenwell. The thing I love about working with Adrienne Marie Brown is that she is never satisfied with the obvious, the visible, the surface, but rather endeavors to dig deeper, to go underneath, and to venture beyond what we think we know about ourselves and one another. Her book, Emergent Strategy, has been a disruptive force in the movement in all of the best ways, challenging us not just to do better, but to be better. As you will see in this podcast, being with Adrienne is like being on a journey, She takes you to places you have never been and paints a picture of humanity that you never thought possible. And she draws out of you your best self in spite of yourself. You will hear me tell my own story of humiliation and harm and how I was held to account by my community. But Adrian says that accountability is community. It's how we hold one another in love and justice. And if we can understand that we are both whole and broken at the same time, we can learn to love ourselves and one another that way. We are writing our future with each and every relationship we repair. And Adrian encourages us to surrender to the flow of humanity and let it take us beyond what we already know. I am all in for that journey with her, and I encourage you to come along. Enjoy the show. I just want to share with you that I was totally overwhelmed getting ready for this because (laughs) I just wanted to talk to you about everything. Oh, cool. Well, we'll do our best. I know we'll do our best. Well, and just, I think that's just a testament to like how rich, not even your content is, your existence is. Oh, sweet. (laughs) And the impact that you're having on um, the world and um, anyone who's worked with me or spent time with me over the last two years knows who you are and has experienced your work. And I think that that's happening in a lot of different places, not just through me, obviously, but. Well, we have to tell your listeners that we go back. We go. We go way back. A couple, we don't even know how to count anymore because we're at that age. I feel like it might be like 2010 or something. Like, I feel like it was when I was still in the Bay. Yeah. And that was, I lived in the Bay and I left the Bay in 2009. 
I think you were in Detroit actually at the time. Okay. I think you would, because I, like I remember you were, you were coming back for it because it was our community of practice. I know. Oh, I think that was the transition year actually. Yep. So it was 2011 because I let, we finished. Yeah. We finished and then I went on my sabbatical. That's right. And then you came back. Exactly. That's um, beautiful. And it was, you talk about it in the book yeah. as like a time where this was really emerging for exactly. you. Exactly. Um, so, so we're here, I should say your name. Oh, <laughs> we're here with the amazing Adrian Murray Brown. <laughs> That's rich. That's who That's we're great. here with. That's what's happening. <laughs> and if you don't know, she is the author of Emergent Strategy, um, Shaping Change, Changing Worlds, which if you don't have this book, just get it because just get it. it's all the things mm. I know a lot of people call it like a handbook for organizers and it has so much to offer around um, how we respond to this moment how we work together more effectively but for me it's been like how we be together yeah. it's just straight up like how we be together and move through the world together yeah. and it's been that um, fundamental yeah. I think in my life and in the work yeah. that all of us are doing to try and navigate this moment, whatever that is. Yeah. And so I want to know, you know, I'm sure this book has been emerging for you forever yeah. and ever and ever. But like, what are the markers that you point to around like when this book really revealed itself to you oh, that yeah. it had to be written? Yeah. Um, well, it's it's interesting because a, a lot of it was on that sabbatical that I took. So I had been doing social justice work. Um, you know, my whole adult life. And I had done a lot of different things. I had done electoral organizing and I had done um, direct action. With League of Pissed Off Voters. Yeah, with the League of Pissed Off I Voters. I literally didn't know you were associated with them until I read it today. Oh, that's hilarious. In <laughs> like, a blog, yeah. in a blog. That was, um, you know, that was one of the first projects where I was like there, right, you know, as the, at the ground floor, as they say, yeah. right? And watched it grow and got really like, oh, this is both exhilarating and disappointing, yeah. right? And then I went to the Ruckus Society, um, but I had started in harm reduction. So I started out in harm reduction, which is like working with active drug users and folks who are doing sex work and other things to reduce the harm that comes from drugs mm. and, and sex in your life. And it was like, at that moment, the you know, it was the Bush presidency. It was a big push towards abstinence, only everything, mm -hmm. denying the body, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And that actually is what kind of kicked me into wanting to do the electoral work. Because I was like, well, we have to have our fingers in the electoral That's process right. if we want to um, even just hold the line, hold the barriers around the things that we are learning and liberating ourselves into. And then went to do that work. And I was like, oh, it's a dirty game. Right. It's a really dirty game. And like, I don't know if that's where I can be the most effective. Yeah. Um, and then went to do direct action, which is like so exciting and so invigorating. And, you know, the Ruckus Society is like the small and mighty engine that could. And it's yeah, still so that fierce. way. It's just like this ferocious body, yeah. this ferocious institution that I think, you know, it's like, oh, if you look at what's happened at Standing Rock, if you look at a lot of what's happened with Black Lives Matter, it's one of those things where. You can't say, oh, Ruckus trained all those people, but you can say like Ruckus has kept that field ripe and kept the skills yeah. ripe so that all these folks who have come through that, that network and associated networks have been a part of it's building like those DNA skills. Exactly. In all these movements. Exactly. Ruckus, yeah. And so I get excited about that and also like, hey, make sure not to forget Ruckus. You know, like I'm always like, don't forget. Yeah. Ruckus is actually training these yeah. folks. So I got to do that for five years. And in that process, um, 
I learned a ton about like what executive directorship is and isn't and should be and should never be. Um, and just like the funding games, the philanthropy that I was just like, Oh God, like this oh. is not going to get us free. Yeah. And then I went to, um, work on the U S social forum. I was like a, a co-facilitator at the national level for that, which was like 60 organizations, 20,000 people in Detroit. And by the end of that, I was just like, okay, I think I can clearly feel what's broken and what's hurting in our movements. Like I, I feel like we're longing for each other and then we are constantly competing with each other and manipulating. And we're doing all this stuff that I think comes from being steeped in capitalism and steeped in patriarchy and steeped in these things that we say we're fighting against, but we're just embodying them all the time. So I went off on my sabbatical and I started thinking about like who was saying and doing and practicing other ways. And it was like Grace Lee Boggs, mm -hmm. Charity Hicks, um, you know, Margaret Wheatley had written mm -hmm. this book, Leadership in the New Science, and that those ideas were blowing my mind. And I was like 20 years old at the time, but I was like, we are, have not been reading this. You know, the folks I'm in movement with are not reading that. And then I was like, Octavia Butler's characters are all the kind of leaders that I would like and I want us to support. And then while I was on that trip, I was just in the ocean and I was watching birds and I was watching ants. And I was just sort of like, it all started to click together. Yeah. Like, um, and I think I had to think of it as being for organizers in order to take the risk of writing it because otherwise it was like, oh, this is actually all of how to be a human. Yeah, you yeah. Know? <laughs> and it was too much, right? For me, the even. I was like, I can't write. Human. Yeah, exactly. I was like, you can't write that. And yet so, you wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, towards the end, I did have to say to myself, like, um, if you release this, you have to be willing to let it change everything, right? It could be that also. And you have to be willing to let that be what's coming through. And you have to be willing to let it change nothing. Like it could be, you know, I always say that your 12 weirdo friends read it and they're just like, this is great. I love you, whatever. And it changed the life of 12 weirdo friends. Right. And but I was enough. like, it's also like, it changed me to write it. I, I felt the day that I finished, I was like, this is my great offer to the world. I felt a completion in me that was, it still like brings, it makes me emotional to really feel into it. Cause I was just like, there's other things I want to do and other things I want to pursue in my life. But there was something about that that was like, this was a piece of your life's work and you did it. And, mm. um, and I feel satisfied, you know? Um, and I had lost a few people during that time. So I had this, I've also had this real sense of mortality and a real sense of like, a lot of people don't get to complete something in their life. And that's not what it's, you know, that's not what their destiny is. And I was like, I'm really glad that my destiny included completing this book. Um, yeah. One of the things um, that you mention as a fundamental principle in this book is this this concept of moving at the speed of trust. Yeah. And every time I, I name that um, in a meeting or a facilitation or a yoga class. Yes, yoga. Um, <laughs> yes, yoga. <laughs> Um, like it stops people in their tracks. Uh -huh. And I think part of it is we're yearning for that. Yeah. And part of it is it feels impossible yeah. in a culture of productivity, in a culture of outcomes, in a culture of like speed and urgency. Yeah. Um, and so how, how do we embody that? Like, how, yeah. like, like how do we roll um, when we're moving at the speed of trust yeah. and, and, and coexist in the world that we live in? That's great. Well, 
I first heard it from my friend Mervyn Marcano, who um, started something called Blackbird, which is like this brilliant, basically it's a group of like brilliant black people who have been supporting all kinds of black movement work that's happening. And it was just his birthday yesterday. Um, and But I first heard it from him and I remember being blown away because I thought of him and all the folks around him as folks who are like moving at the speed of light. And, yeah, that's right. Um, but then I, I was like, oh yeah, they are all, you know, there's so much trust building that happens amongst teams that are able to move quickly. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to draw that out. And then when I started writing about it and looking, there were all these other people who had also said it. It's one of those ideas. It feels like it sort of sprung up from the soil from a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was like, I think there's a reason for that. I think it's something we all know that we need right now. And what I had experienced at Ruckus actually was that early, you know, when we were not trusting each other, it was nearly impossible to move anything. Yeah, that's right. And then once we started to really do the work, drop in, build trust, have real conflict, move through it, um, know that there were lines we could hold and lines we could give and compromise on, then the work began to move very quickly and could move quickly. And so I think... Um, when people initially think it's impossible, it's because they can't imagine getting to the trust place, Mm. right? And they don't realize, like, once you're in the trust place, it's not like you're processing all the time. You trust. So you're able to do a lot really quickly. You know your roles. You know your skills. You know um, how you respond to pressure. Like, there's all these things. I'm like, then you can really move, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when I offer it to groups, it's really – it's not saying – move like a snail who trusts the (laughs) earth, you know? And it's just like, I'll get there when I get there. It's like, no, like take the time to build relationships that will last under pressure. Because what happens is folks build at the surface level. Like we have a, we ideologically agree, or at least we agree on one part or we agree enough to sign a petition together, right? Right. This is my favorite thing is like, well, we've got 3 billion numbers, people that said they're down for this. And they all showed up maybe on one day of marching, but they didn't sustain as a movement. It's like, yeah, because there's there's nothing for them to sustain on or, you know, towards. So those things that help build trust are really understanding a shared vision, not as an outcome orientation, but as a like, this is how we want to be. And if you share that, you start to practice being that way. That builds trust. You really have to be able to do conflict. Yeah, you call it generative conflict. Generative conflict, right? You have to be able to be in conflict that generates new futures, new possibilities, new options. And trust. And trust. I mean, it's it's amazing. Like, I was saying this, I was on this panel last night for the Spiritual Resiliency Fellowship I just finished at Auburn. And we were. I was talking about how uh, they were asking, like, what is the toxicity in our movements right now? And I was like, a ton of it is that people don't know how to fight. Yeah. They don't know how to fight with integrity. Yeah. And because of social media, now you can like not ever directly confront someone who you're upset with, right? And just be like, I'm fucking pissed. Yeah. <laughs> you really messed yep. up. Instead, you can just be like, I wrote a whole article on Medium and I subtweeted about this person and, and I took them down and we should cancel them. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. But did you actually call this person and just say, yeah. right? Did you hire a mediator? Yeah to sit down and be like, we're having a possible conversation. We can't find our way through it. And I'm like, we owe movement. We owe movement that much to learn how to fight well and to ask for support to have that conflict because we don't have the numbers actually, right? This is where the numbers do matter. I'm like, I want those 3 billion people who signed the petition. I want that to actually be real because 
there's children that I love in this world who rely on us succeeding at something. And we can't succeed if we're infighting all the time and like getting caught in these drama stagnant pools instead of actually flowing towards a future where we can all survive. Well, and I think it's also a cross fighting, right? Because I think about like the kind of power building you're talking about Mm -hmm. needs to cross difference and gender and race. And to me, like that kind of conflict and language and, and then understanding for oneself um, our, our particular social location yeah. and how we come into connection and relationship and, and the messy. <laughs> and the messiness, I feel like this too. I'll say this has been like a really big thing. Like as the me too stuff has been unfolding, I'm like, you know, that desire to cancel gets really turned up, right? You're just sort of like that person caused harm and they caused a harm that feels very familiar to me. I'm also a survivor of that kind of harm. And so I want to see that person, you know, I want to, yeah. I want to see that person pay for what happened to me yeah. and what happened to everyone who's ever survived. Yeah. And, um, and I see this rending, like this tearing apart of us in the sense that like, Oh, now it's, we separate ourselves into perpetrators and to victims. And, um, I'm like, even there, we need to learn new ways of being. And I'm really excited for the leadership of Toronto Burke and excited mm-hmm. of the leadership of movement still in these spaces yeah. where it's not like, you know, there's not the sense of we just throw them away. It's more like we want to hold them in the light until they say, I can be accountable. That's right. And then what does accountability look like? Accountability looks like finding your way back into community. It's not saying go sit on an island somewhere until you rot it's and die. Inclusion. Right. It's like we care about your, you know, on a, on a basic level, it's like, I care about your soul, like your, your essence, your, yeah. your essential being, you have caused a great harm. You need to come right with it. You need to come yeah. right by me and by yourself and by yeah. your community and weave it back in. And so to me, generative conflict also has the capacity to do that. For redemption. It's for redemption. It's just yeah. like you, you can find your way home. We all can find our way home because we're all causing harm. That's right. Right. That's and that's why transformative justice is to me, that's why it's interesting and important. It's yeah. like we all cause harm. We cause it to different degrees. We cause yeah. it with different levels of intention, but we all do it. Yeah. And thank goodness someone's not holding, you know, what I was doing and thinking at 16 or 21 yeah. or 25 or yesterday against me forever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. There's people who've been patient enough to be like, that really hurt, hurt me. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, I regularly hang out with friends. Where I'm like, we did some, we hurt each yeah, other. Right. We really fucked each other up. Yeah. And then we got it right. You know, like then we kept coming. Is we it okay came to say through. the F word by that? Is it okay? Uh, How do you feel about it? fuck all okay, good. the time. <laughs> I was like, Shit, no. Fuck. Shit fuck, bitch. Anyway. <laughs> all right. Um, well, I just want to name, because I was telling Trevor about you last night and, um, I was talking about your idea of, of not canceling people. And I was describing my experience of being in the cohort yeah. with this amazing group of human beings, yeah. um, Anasa and Taj and you yeah. and Navina And I mean, like every single Jadon, one of those people, Shadan, Jody. So cool. I look like, back now, I'm like, I can't believe that group of people actually got to kick it oh together. My God. For and, a well, year. and I, I remember coming into that group and being like, how did I make the list? <laughs> Like who said it was mm-hmm. okay for me to be in here? And it did a lot to affirm. It called me up, quite frankly, to who yeah. I needed to be awesome. in intersectional relationship in this sort of bigger meta movement. It was just so, it really shifted everything for me. Oh, but, but one of the things that changed my life, especially in relationship. Well, actually, let me just say okay. really quickly, the cohort that, that you're talking about yeah. is we did this cohort, like it was a year of learning about decentralization and networks, I think. Yeah. 
and it was with, with the, the Engage, Engage Network, Network and Movement Strategy Center. And Movement Strategy mm-hmm. Center. And and so I would think it was like nine or ten people in it. And we just spent a year learning together. And I was kind of loosely like the guide of that learning journey. And, was emergent strategy. And it really was emergent strategy, but before, before I knew, knew. <laughs> that articulation, right? But it was like, let's just play and yeah. learn and show each other what we know about yeah. this stuff. And I learned so much from that yeah. year. So that's what we're referring to when we talk about the cohort. And yeah. the cohort. The, um, and it stays with me. Like mm-hmm. the relationships have stayed with me, but um, but the, you know, I learned what I didn't know uh-huh. there too. And I remember this one experience where we were all sort of sharing our work with one another. And right. I was, um, you know, and I was sharing, you know, my vision for, um, for collective care and for, you know, the role of yoga and mindfulness in transformative healing and, and in, you know, in that like typical well-meaning white girl, (laughs) well-intentioned way. I remember, um, that in doing that in my, in my deep yearning of like wanting to make change yes. through these practices, I caused harm in uh, that room. I don't know if you remember this. I'm like, I was coming back. I'm like, oh yeah, there was um, like that sticky I don't even moment. remember what I said, but I just think it was, it was how, it was just where I was coming from yeah. and who I was being and what I knew at that time. And, and I remember the group really yeah. pushing back. Yeah. Um, with questions, with que- and and yeah, with questions and um, and curiosity, yeah. and and just like loving, cha- like lovingly yeah. challenging me. But it was in that moment that I I really got clear about the perspective and the location yeah. that I come with yes. when I enter a space of like healing justice yes. from this sort of white body, from yeah. this white privileged, um, able body. I mean, all of the you know exactly. checklist. Um, and I'll never forget. And I remember having, um, I remember feeling crushed. Yeah. I think because, because I realized that I had caused harm and because at the time I still didn't understand white fragility, yes. like I didn't understand my fragility. Yes, yes. And so I, I, I was broken, but I'll never forget this. Um, and I, and I was telling Trevor last night and I started to, to cry cause I, um, and I haven't really articulated this story to people. Um, but but this is sort of how I remember it is after that experience, you had everyone come up and surround me uh-huh. um, and like bless me and pray with me yeah. even before like I could even process. I mean, this is yeah. like while it was still happening <laughs> um, and um, and never once did anyone cancel me. Yeah. Never once. And in fact, many of those folks yes. showed up as an ally in, in my, in my anti-racism work, yes. in my becoming clear and taking responsibility for my whiteness yes. and my perspective yeah. and my impact and, and yeah. have like stood fiercely by me ever. Yeah. So I just, so I just wanted to share that with you that, that. it has totally shaped, yeah. um, who I have decided to become in this work and, and also like where, what my role is. Well, and, you know, those kind of moments for me, I think this is where I get, you know, there's like there's anti-racism work and there's anti-blackness and there's anti-this and there's anti. And I'm like, there's all this against energy that happens. And then it makes it very hard to actually figure out how do we walk with each other um, through unlearning these systems of oppression that we've all learned and they're holding us all back from our humanity. That's right. And so I I look at this because I'm like, 
you know, I often will tell folks, you know, for this year I did a whole series of emergent strategy trainings and I was like, white folks can come, but I need to know that they are doing some of their own work already, that they know, you know, they've, they've gone through catalyst project programs or they're, you know, they're trying to join surge or, you know, they're doing something that's just like, oh, I'm aware that whiteness is a part of the burden of this time, that something that needs to be kind of unlearned and un- um, undeified or, yeah. you know, all these yeah. things. Right. And I'm like, if you're not already on that path, this, this coursework is not for you. My work is not going to yeah. really do much for you because it does take that level of self-reflection. Right. Yeah. But I'm like, then in the spaces where that self-reflection is present, right. We have to all be able to look at each other as human beings and say, yeah. where's, where's your work? Where's your edge? And if you're causing harm, like my thing is always, if you cause harm, and you're like, oh, I can see that I caused it and I can weave myself back in and I want to be woven back in. Cool. And then the places where I'm like, I don't know what to do about you is if I cause harm and I was told and it was brought up to me and then I continued to cause it. Yeah. And then it was brought up and I continued. Yeah, so right. that's where we end up with like, to me, the like Harvey Weinstein or the Bill Cosby yeah. or something like that where I'm like, yeah. you caused harm. And instead of changing your behaviors to not cause harm, you changed your behaviors to hide the harm and yeah. you created a whole system so that you could continue yeah. the harm, which that's the dramatic, like I've got money to cause harm level. But I think a lot of people do that just on an interpersonal level. Well, there's subtle versions of that inside exactly. our movement. All the time, yeah. right? Like I'm like, I see a lot where people are like, oh, I'll move from one organization to another rather than accounting for the harm I caused right. here. I'll just go start a new project or do That's a new right. thing or whatever. Exactly. And like people will, you know, some new funders, some new someone will support it and then I'll move forward. Yeah. And so I see that where I'm like, oh, you got these yeah. folks. And I'm like, you know, always go back and ask the questions. Yeah. How was it when this person worked here? How, how did that go? Yeah. Cause folks will tell you, but a lot of times we don't even ask, <laughs> you know, but I'm we like, we ask. need to trace backwards and be like, don't just get excited by the surface level. Um, you know, there's, that's to me, a lot like of how the shiny and the golden child of the charismatic leaders. Yeah. Like, I think that's a lot of how they perpetuate yeah. is actually just moving forward and, yeah. and being, you know, I was like, I say that as someone who I'm like, I'm charming. Like I could probably walk in the room and get some money or get what I need. Right. And once you realize that, I'm like, Oh, I'm, I have to be yeah. in communities where I'm held accountable so that that doesn't, yeah. ju- you know, that's, that's right. very Proximity reveals everything. It does. The people closest to you will feel And they'll keep coming back. So I'm like, oh, I've put myself into several communities. And the thing, the reason I will stay in a community is because I know that community will be like, Adrian, girl, you did something that wasn't okay. You need to account for it. And a lot of my somatics work has been that, of just being like really turn and face the parts of you that can cause harm and then get under them. And so then I'm like, oh, where did this, you know, where did my... Um, you know, for a lot of, a lot of my stuff has been around sex and intimacy and feeling like I, you know, I just need to have whatever I want. And in movement space, that's really not a safe way to operate, right? Like you really actually need to have great boundaries because you're doing really intensive work and you don't want to be in an act of constant seduction. You don't want to be in an act of constant affairs and sneaking around and all this stuff, right? So I've had to like be like, okay, but where did that come from? Yep. Oh, that traces back to my sexual trauma. Yep. Oh, like let me get curious about that and stabilize these relationships. And you know, it's like it's very vulnerable to say that, but it's also yeah. like how many folks are running around with their, you know, sort of trauma-induced behaviors yeah. 
just going rampant and not being called to account and called into community and held blessed in community. Like we see you and we see that you can grow. I want to give a special shout out to our community of supporters on Patreon who are making it possible for us to create content that matters for citizens who care. Citizen Podcast was designed for truth seekers, bridge builders, and emerging activists who are yearning to make a difference. We're not afraid to ask hard questions and have a radical dialogue about politics and patriarchy, white supremacy and worthiness. And we're serious about showing up for one another and taking action for the well-being of everyone. But making a good podcast takes a village. And so we're building one on Patreon. By joining our Patreon community for as little as $1 per month, you get lots of good stuff from us, like radical meditations, community forums, and lifestyle content that you can trust. Not only does it keep us going, but it keeps us honest and real and pushing the envelope of courageous conversations that are independent, transparent, and authentic. So check us out on patreon.com slash citizenwell and build with us as we create a culture of well-being that works for everyone. I saw something that you had said when I was looking through this. Um, you said uh, it might have been in like a blog or I don't know. I write a lot. <laughs> I, well, and I just was like consuming so much of your content when mm. I was getting ready for this, which mm. I've, I had already done, but it was like I was just trying to reimmerse myself. Anyway, you said, I see in your trauma, in your relative experience, and I see your whole self beyond that. Yeah. And to me, um, like that's, I don't even know how I would define my spirituality, but it's that. <laughs> like yeah. I'm like what, people are yeah. like you're so spiritual I'm like, I don't even know what that means I'm a recovering Catholic you know I practice yoga I meditate yeah. I, I believe in humanity I yeah. believe in the world beyond but like when I read that from you I was like that to me yeah. is the articulation of my spiritual that's beautiful belief well and I think this is the thing like I I know that I'm both whole and broken all the time yeah. and so I know that I want to be loved in that way. Like I want to be loved as a creature that is both and, and I'm like, if I want that for myself, then I can't deny that to any other being. And vice versa. If you want that for others, exactly. You actually can't can't deny it to yourself. And I don't, I think there's something so interesting for me about being a black person in this country, being a woman in this country, being a trans person's country, being something that has at some point in this country, been a distinct marker of you are less than and you will suffer for being less than a human, right? So, you know, for women, it's like, oh, you will not be able to vote. You will be subsumed by these roles, these traditional matriarchal roles, and that's all you're going to get access to. As a black person, it's like you will literally only come here enslaved and you will work until you die and you will breed. You will not have children. You will breed, right? I mean, to survive that and to try to make a comeback into a full humanity. It's like, you have to be like, someone has to see through the narrative and the messaging to my humanity. And I have to see it. You know, I have to be in it fully in my dignity or else it's never going to work. And so then we go through these cycles right now. Like I love this. Michelle Alexander just wrote this piece in the New York times. Oh, it's so so good. good. And it's basically like, we are not the resistance, but it talks about how like, there's this sort of flow of humanity towards, um, 
towards being able to see the wholeness of ourselves yeah. and towards really being a liberated people and all of this. And it's not right to call us the resistance when actually the resistance it's is those who are us. regressing and trying to pull us back into the cave, pull us back into extreme patriarchy and extreme racism and extreme hatred. And it's like, oh no, that, that regression, that is the resistance towards what's flowing towards change. Right. It was so compelling to me that I've been doing this tarot reading for the last couple of years. I post a card every day since the election. I've been posting a card every day. That's just like for movement. Right. And I started calling it resistance tarot because I was like, we are the resistance. You know, it was so compelling. I was like, I'm not calling it the resistance tarot anymore. Like I call it resistance tarot and movement tarot. I'm only going to call it movement tarot because I'm like, we are the moving force that is taking us forward. And it's not that I don't believe, you know, I was like, like the park rangers and stuff. I was like, there are people who are positioned where they also need to resist the resistance. You know, like it's not that you don't know. And we can be both things. Exactly. But I'm like, at a fundamental deep level, we have to understand that we are actually moving future. We are moving the future and towards the future. And we are up against people who want to move us towards the past. It's literally that kind of simple timeline. Well, we see that playing out in the Supreme Court. I mean, I was, I was, I laid my body down across the Supreme Court yesterday because like, that's what it's like. We're at this sort of like, will we go back? Did you get arrested yesterday? I got arrested yesterday. Someone came up to me at the event last night and they were like, yeah, Carrie was going to be here, but she got arrested. I was like, that must be a different Carrie because I'm meeting with Carrie in the morning. (laughs) No, I got home last night because I was like, I got to get back for this interview. Thanks for this arrest, but I've got to see you. (laughs) But it's like, that's what it feels like, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're, it's a fever pitch and we're at this precipice where it's like, will we move back or will we move Mm -hmm. forward? Exactly. And and you know, I want to like, um, and every individual action really matters right now. Right. So like I keep trying to uplift where I'm like, yeah, you, this is the time where you can be a radical postal worker, a radical banker, like how you are in your place of work, how you are with every other person. You're either affirming this regressive move or you are affirming a future. And it's cute. My parents run a state farm insurance office in New Hampshire and they have become like the, they're the LGBT friendly office and they are like a progress, you know, there's these little progress, you know, it's like this mom and pop shop, but it's like, I'm like, watching them. I'm like, it's yeah, how you are Mm -hmm. is really important. And that queer people feel safe coming into your office at this moment in history is like really freaking important. And so I'm like, all that small stuff really matters. And that's, you know, that's the whole thing with emergency. It's like all the big things that we're longing for are only made up of a lot of small, personal, radical, brave choices. And then it starts, you know, so it starts to get exciting where you're like, my whole day is it, like I'm, I look ahead at a whole day where I get like one option, one chance, one chance, one chance, yeah. one chance to be my most radical self. And like, and imagine you know, that happening collectively and then happening, right? Like we're all getting that chance and we all like feed each other. And like, that's what I would, I, I do want to say this is my dream for social media is that instead of it being a catalog of all the crap, like the wrongdoing, like, the yeah, calling regurgitating out. regurgitating of all the like, here's all the bad stuff. I'm like, just read the New York Times. You'll get the bad stuff. And then we should be a chorus of uplifting all the radical, powerful moves yeah. that take us forward, yeah. you know? And I really wish that we could f- learn to make that pivot and use use these structures in that way yeah. to lift ourselves up and, and echo chamber the good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like have that be part of like how we move. Yes. As a distinct move is we're just like, we only, we put our attention. It's like a river. Right. It's like what we pay attention to grows. So I'm like, let's put our attention on our radical moves towards the future we want. Let's put all of our attention on it and just, you know, it's like bet the house or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. 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 
I want to, um, so I want to talk about where we're going. Great. Um, cause I know going? where are we going? <laughs> and, cause I know that you often encourage us to imagine better, yeah. um, and to like even bring sci-fi into our visioning yes. of what's possible. And I know you have a, a new book coming out, which yeah. pleasure activism, the politics of feeling good. Yes. And, um, and I, I, um, so like, I have lots to say about pleasure and joy and, good. and how it's, um, for me personally, and I think this is indicative of, of the movement, how it's fallen away mm-hmm. because of the urgency and the gravity of what we're facing, yeah. how it feels like hard to do that, um, how to ha- how to be joyful, yeah. right, given what we're facing. Um, and I also think that like a lot of the a lot of the benchmarks of what we're moving towards because of how far back we've fallen are things like equality and equity. Like that's often what we're naming (laughs) as like the thing that like when we win, we'll be equal as if like, that's not the baseline. It's like, we should start equal. And then when we win. And so I'm wondering like, if, when we win, will it feel like pleasure? When we win, will it right. feel like radical expression? When right. we win, will it be fulfillment? Right. And so what, how, how should we be visioning forward? Like, what is this book? How will this book point us yeah. towards the, the future we want to become? Um, I love this question, obviously. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I started writing the pleasure activism book, it was before this election. And it was like, this is just what's pulsing, what feels alive in me. It's just like, oh, I really want to focus in on, I've been listening to the Audre Lorde uses of the erotic. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a, you can go on YouTube and like, you listen to her read that essay and just listening to this, there's a part of it where she talks about like, once you've really tasted that full erotic aliveness, it becomes impossible to settle for anything less than that, any suffering, any like selling yourself short. Um, And so I got like, I was like, that feels like so important. Like we are settling for such crumbs right now and calling it like we're victorious. Um, It also got me like something I started exploring in emergent strategy and I'm continuously exploring is like how we get off the hamster wheel of win, lose, win, lose, win, lose, or pendulum swinging or whatever it is. But it's like, it just feels like we're constantly figuring out the next victory and it is so short sighted because yeah. it's like, well, the next victory, we have someone who's actively out there working for their next victory on the other side. And how do we scale ourselves out to like what we're talking about is not about political victories, but about existence, you know, and at the level evolution. of existence, like yeah. do we get to go forward? Have we earned our place on the planet? And so to me, pleasure becomes one of the measures by which we know, oh, I am free. I am fully alive. Like in this moment, I have, I am accessing the best of the human experience and that's available to me. And so, you know, looking back at, at, at history and being like, okay, how have people, how has pleasure? And in this, you know, it's so funny because when I say pleasure, um, people kind of look at me like, you know, the bacchanalia, like, you know, it's just like everyone's having sex and doing drugs. I'm like, sex and drugs are a part of it. But it's much simpler than that. It's really like joy, happiness, and satisfaction. And and can't do we have access to those experiences? And some of that is the erotic. Some of that is having that in the realm of the sexual, right? Some of that is drugs. I talk about weed and ecstasy and mushrooms and stuff like that in the book. And just like go on those journeys, explore where, if it feels good to you or not. Um, do it with harm reduction. But a lot of it is really... Do you feel satisfied in your life? Do you know how to feel satisfied in your life? Who sets the standards by which you measure your satisfaction? How do you articulate what would satisfy you? 
do you feel contentment and happiness? And mm-hmm. do you know what that feels like? Or are you constantly, you know, capitalism teaches us we can never be content. There's always something else we have to have mm-hmm. and we have to work for it. And I see the generation, you know, of uh, like my parents and our, all of our parents, I see how they can't stop working, you know, like they've reached retirement age. They should be able to retire. And the setup is like, no, even though you're, you're, you're old enough that you should be able to retire. And we once understood that humans should be able to retire at this age. You, you can't, you yeah. can't imagine doing it on a financial level, but also on like a spiritual level. Yeah, it's just that's like, right. who am I if I'm not working? Like, and I don't want to, I don't want to have an, you know, generation after generation feel that I want to be like, I worked hard yeah, and now I get to do something else. And I think a lot of it is creating. Like, I'm like, mom, I want you to write novels. Like yeah. you've got novels in you and it's a different kind of work perhaps, but it's also like, um, we spend so much of our time just like being a cog in a wheel without realizing yeah. it. And so stepping off the wheel and being like, what is satisfying to me? What is pleasure to me? So I'm asking a lot of people like, to me, that's the future we should be moving towards is not just surviving. Um, we can do that. Not just being equal or having equity because it's like equal access to a shit show is not the greatest achievement right. in life. Right. That's right. Um, and equal access to a dying planet or a planet that we have harmed is also not the win. Right. So it ties back to emergent strategy in that way too, that I'm like, there's a relationship we're in with this planet that can provide a lot of this satisfaction and pleasure to me. Like the most contentment I've experienced has been being in the ocean, being in the woods, like actually sitting down with a tree. You know, I just moved, rearranged my house so that I could sleep with a tree right near me, <laughs> you know, outside. I was like, I need that. And I think we all do. So there's a pleasure of being of this planet that I think we are so, so many of us are so far from tapping into. And I don't even think it's like a hippy dippy thing. It's just like, we really do live on a miraculous, gorgeous, yeah. stunning, and sensually alive planet. And then it's like, we're all nature too. So it's like sex shouldn't just be like, you know, kind of let's get it done. Right. I'm like, how do you slow it all down and really be I'm like, we get to have sex where we are cognizant of the pleasure. Yeah. That's not even what most creatures do. Right. Like we're not just procreating. Like there's, there's more to it. Yeah. So all of that feels like it's, it's tied up. And in this political moment, it felt like I kept doubting myself. Like, is this the right project to do next right now? But I, it just, every day it feels more and more like this is exactly what we need right now is to recognize that in this moment where it feels like we're kind of in a dark ages, the dark ages is descending on us, that there's still this deep underground mushroom like existence that we get to be in that is fungal and primal and beautiful and sensual and pleasurable. And actually, if we can tie together at that level, we will be unstoppable, right? Like we're growing something that can't even be seen by the eyes of this 24 hour news cycle. It's beyond, beyond, beyond. Exactly. I could talk to you forever and ever and ever and ever. I mean, that's how, that's what we like to me. This is also the, why I'm like trying to get more people to like tap out of anything yeah. that's not really lighting your system up. I totally agree. Right. Cause then when you get in those conversations, we're like, this is lighting me up. You know, Jimmy Box, James Box is one of my kind of mentors mm-hmm. through mentors. Like mm-hmm. his, his wife, Grace Box was my mentor who I got to experience. And she taught me like transform yourself to transform the world and like all these important things. But Jimmy Box talked about how, we get stuck in this thought of like, you know, leaving the impossible alone and just doing what's possible. And that, you know, he was a labor worker. Like he was like an auto worker, auto industry, making cars. 
And he was like, I don't think that we're supposed to be doing this. I think technology should serve to take care of a lot of this baking and and we should be able to then use our minds oh, to I love really that. expand to something beyond, right? And I'm like, yeah, I still want to continue that expansion where I'm like, let's, I'm like, that's the way I want to be in relationship to technology, right? It's like, let's automate the things that can be automated, that can be done by a machine, but there's something that cannot be done by a machine. Well, and I love that it debunks <laughs> to that, like, yeah, like that, you know, Silicon Valley, you take yeah. care of the automation and yeah. the stuff that like let humans though yes. be the innovators, the yes. dreamers, the, um, the, you know, imaginators. Yeah. Right. And I know that there's, you know, there's some space. Because I'm like, so many of the structures by which we're communicating with each other are created by people who are machine thinking oriented instead of soul thinking oriented, yeah. right? And so we've started to connect with each other in the online sphere, but in a very machinery way, yeah. right? Where it's just like- We embody the machine. I said what I felt. You said you liked it. That was the transit. <laughs> you know, like whatever it was, instead of like, oh, we got in a, we, we found each other. We actually got to- you know, I think of like slugs hanging from a tree, you know, when they're having sex, they like wrap around each other and it becomes like this one gorgeous mass. Like that's what, you know, like how do we create how do we structures become for connecting that kind yeah. of depth that way? So that's to me was, you know, I'm like, how can humans figure out like we need to be off doing something on a whole different level. I've been rewatching Sensei and I'm like, there's other yeah. levels that we need to be exploring and playing Sense and eight, moving. Right? Sense eight. Oh yeah. That's so good. Um, and it's so good in that way of like, this is emergent strategy. This is what I'm interested yeah. in is how do we, how do we, um, stop seeing ourselves as individuals and start seeing ourselves as a part of one much larger organism? How do we communicate inside that organism? How does that organism survive and feel pleasure and really earn its right to be a part of this universe? I'm so excited, um, for where you're going to take us next Yay. in our, just in this, um, in this way in which I feel like we deserve better yeah. and we can reach further. Yes. Um, and so yeah. I'm so freaking grateful for you yeah. and for the way in which you've just gifted us, um, this book and you're about to gift us another one and you've, you gift us your Yay. words and your tarot readings and your facilitation and your spirit all the time. And, um, we are better because you are with us. Thank I you. have to say, I mean, I really want to say, I feel like such a conduit life, you know, like in the, in the really good kind of way, yeah. I'm just like, I just really get to interact with such high quality beings yeah. on a regular basis. And so, so much of what moves through is like saying yes to that. And that's the, you know, I'm like, if you want to have a great life, just say yes to the most interesting people and like, just keep pursuing that line. Um, you don't have to say yes to the job that gives you the most money. Like, yeah you can say yes to something else and it'll actually feel better in the long run. So say yes to the people. Yeah. Say yes to the people. Thank yeah. you, Adrian Marie Brown. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Susan. <laughs> Thanks. So, I mean, the whole thing, and this is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. While this podcast is coming to an end, our work in the world is just beginning. This week's call to action is to embrace pleasure in your activism. We're often so caught up in the urgency and gravity of what's going on in the world that we deny our right to joy and pleasure. But authentic pleasure is a measure of liberation. So go get Adrian's book, Pleasure Activist, at akpress.org. And for more liberatory potions and magic, follow her at adrianmariebrown.net. 
Special thanks to our producer Trevor Exter and DJ Drez for the amazing soundtrack. You can check out his music at djdrez.com. And thank you for being here today. You can stay in the know and engaged by subscribing to our weekly newsletter, Well Read, at citizenwell.org. Citizen Podcast is community-inspired and crowdsourced. That's how we keep it real. Join our community on Patreon for as little as $1 per month so that we can keep doing the work of curating content that matters for citizens who care. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts and share the love by telling your friends to check us out.